Hello friends and welcome to another episode of Normal with Autism. Um, It is Monday here in Columbus, Ohio and it is rainy and yucky and going to only get more rainy and yucky as the day goes on. So happy Monday. Um, Thank you so much for joining me again today and come on over to um, our Instagram page we're at Normal with Autism. Come find us, say hi, um, and check us out on, on what's going over there on Instagram. And if you're listening again to this episode, um, please do me a favor. Stop what you're doing right now. Press pause. If you're over here on iTunes, please go to the iTunes website there. Go ahead and please rate and say how awesome you think we are if you like the the podcast. Um, And please rate and subscribe. And I really do need you to rate it because that's how we get in front of other people. That's one of the ways we get in front of other people. Um, The other way is on Instagram. So like I said, come on over there uh, at Normal with Autism and say hi to us. Um, And I am sitting in my car recording this episode I am uh, waiting for um, Finn to pick him up from school, and so you might hear the occasional car run by, Um, but other than that, it should just be us. So um, thanks for coming back. Thanks for rating and subscribing, Um, but again, please go do that now so we can get in front of some more people. Hopefully some more families who might want to hear um, some of the encouragement that we have to share through this podcast. Um, And today I thought I would tackle dealing with discouragement. I know personally I have dealt with discouragement in my life several times, especially as we've taken on the role of being special needs parents, as I've taken on the role of being a special needs parent. And I just wanted to talk about that a little bit today. Um, so dealing with discouragement and, and we're looking at it through the lens of discouragement being the loss of confidence or enthusiasm. And as I was writing this, um, episode, I'm, I personally was just recently dealing with some discouragement on my own. I had some highs and lows and, um, I kind of want to take just a minute to share with you about that. I recently got a chance to attend uh, a show with Rob Bell. And for those of you who might be living under a rock and not know who he is, a former pastor, and he does his own podcast, just called The Rob Cast. Um, He is kind of the inspiration for me to move forward to do this podcast writes a lot of books, um, tours, does speaking events, does, um, workshops. So badly wish I lived in LA because, um, I would love to hear, to go to his workshops and just learn more from him. But anyway, I I got to recently attend the show with my best friend, Bridget. So she and I were sitting in the theater together and it was here in Columbus, and I was fortunate enough to be able to go to a Q&A session with him before the show. So it was me, um, my friend, and then um, like 40 other, 30, 40 other people. 
And it was awesome because I got to actually ask him a question. So I, I did fangirl out a little bit. So forgive me for that. Um, but I got to ask him a question and it, it does have to do with some of the discour- discouragement that I've, I've faced um, in this journey as a special needs parent. Um, and I had debated on whether or not to share that with you guys, but I, I said it in front of a room for a f- full of 40 other strangers, so why not, right? Um, so one of the highs was getting to meet him and talk to him and ask him this question. And it dealt with my faith, um, as some of you have already heard and kind of the... Um, overview of this podcast is that I, I'm approaching the special needs parenting journey through a lens of faith. Um, my, my faith is very important to me. Um, and I'm sure some of you listening might feel the same way. I, I pray for you that you have your own journey with faith that you're on. Uh, but for me, um, part of what I was dealing with discouragement wise was that I uh, have I've heard the message in church and you know from from various platforms, various pastors, different churches, things like that. I've always heard that um, part of what's going on is that God has led us to this place, has led me to this place uh, to teach me something, and. It, at first, I kind of just accepted that teaching, but then as I thought upon it more, I, I took it in as meaning that God led me to this place to teach me something, and that's somehow linked to, that's why my child has autism. And I have to be honest, that's a very discouraging message to hear as a special needs parent, that your kid is disabled so God can teach you something, is basically how I was taking it. And, um, I, I was angry about that message and I think that's okay. I think it's okay for me to be angry with God because he can take it. And, um, that's the question that I, I brought to my Q and a session with Rob Bell. And I, I said to him, you know, I hear this teaching that God led me to this place to teach me something. And to me, that means that my child has autism to teach me something, and I'm really angry about that. And is there another way that I can think about that so that I can let go of that anger? Because really, it's not, it's not beneficial at all. Um, and he was great, and he took a minute, and he just kind of went, wow, and acknowledged that that was a really hard thing for me to hear. He acknowledged, like, in that wow, there was a, I felt like there was a lot of acknowledgement. Acknowledgement of that's a, hard, that's a tough message to swallow, friends. That's a tough message to swallow. So he acknowledged that. He acknowledged how difficult, I think, in that wow, our journey can be as special needs parents. And um, he basically released me, was able to help release me from that anger Um, because of the way he reframed it. And he said, we'll take God out of that part of it. And he said, I imagine for you, the divine is really when you get to meet other people who are on your similar journey and you guys can be there for each other. Wow. There's my own wow. Um, And I agree with him. 
I think that's where the divine is in, in this part of that journey. Um, and, and I hope that it's here in this podcast with all of you listening. Um, and I, I hope that there's some sense of like, we're here for each other, um, on this journey. Um, and so that was great. Um, it was a really special experience. It was one of the highs, like I said, and by the way, if you ever get a chance to go to a Rob Bell show, my goodness, go, because people are so nice after you leave the uh, show. And my, I think my best friend Bridget can attest to this, um, but it's almost like he took his magic Rob Bell dust and sprinkled it on all of us. And we all left like lighter, happier people because there was problems getting out of the garage, like the machine wasn't working to read your card to pay. And everybody was like, oh, here, here's $5. Here's a couple dollars. I mean, my goodness. Wow. Everybody was very kind to each other. And that's not something you normally see after a show. You know, usually people are like honking their horns and like, get out of my way or die. And uh, that was not the case. So um, it would be great, like I said, if he could bottle that all up and share that with us. Um, like with everybody, cause everybody was just so kind after the show with all the problems that were encountered. So that was part of my discouragement. That's part of, um, how I dealt with it, but getting back to this bigger idea of dealing with discouragement again, like losing your confidence, losing your enthusiasm in the situation. I really truly feel as special needs families, we have a pretty raw and real relationship with discouragement. I think it tends to lurk just around the corner and it's in any of a variety of experiences that we have in our daily lives. It can show up on the playground. Um, You're watching your kid struggle so hard just to do the things that a a neurotypical kiddo would do. Um, It can be there in the IEP meetings as the teachers or the therapists describe the things your kids can't do for like the hundredth time. You're like, yes, I know he can't write his own name. Um, It's there in the missed social events because you guys had to stay home because of a meltdown. Or or maybe the place that, that everybody wants to go. It's you can't go because it's not the right kind of environment for your kiddo. It's there in the doctor's office talking about the next test that they have to do. The testing is crazy sometimes um, or the medication that didn't work. Uh, And I think probably the biggest place that discouragement can show up is in these questions that we ask ourselves in the middle of the night when it's quiet, when our minds are supposed to be shutting down and we just can't get them to shut down that day. But the question that comes to mind pretty regularly is, will my child ever be able to fill in the blank? You know, for Finn, uh, probably the biggest question I ask is, will my child ever be able to speak? Um, who knows? Who knows on that? And that, that question is full of a lot of discouragement, a lot of discouragement most days. So what happens for you guys? Uh, How do you experience discouragement? Is it in these places? Is it in these questions that you ask yourself? Will your child ever be able to um, fill in the blank? Um, When do you think you first started to notice what, when it was hanging around, 
just around the corner. When did you first start to notice that discouragement? My own experience with losing my confidence happened shortly after I stopped working full time. Finn got sick um, in 2013, early part of 2013, started having seizures. We ended up in and out of the hospital for about a month. And it's, re- it's really strange. Again, where I find the divine in this situation Like we were in the hospital for that first week and they gave us the diagnosis of epilepsy, but we didn't get it under control for like a month afterwards. Um, and that's, that's kind of a, a, a thing that I want to share with people is like, you think, oh, your child has seizures and then you get medication, everything's fine. And no, that's not how it works. If you're listening and maybe you don't have a kiddo with seizures or a special needs kiddo, like it, it can take a while that, that is the case sometimes, but it can take a while to get the medicine just right to stop the seizures. And Finn had really bad seizures, like really, um, very intense seizures. And it took us a month to get the medication, right? would praise God. We finally did. Um, and that's a whole other story I might share at one point. Um, but it was weird sitting in the hospital room They gave us the diagnosis of epilepsy and Keith and I both like, here's the divine. We both looked at each other, that connection between us. And we were like, oh, you know what? Our lives have just changed for the drastic. And nobody was telling us this. Like, uh, yeah, kids every day get epilepsy and they take medicine and their parents go to work, whatever. It's not a big deal. But there was something else going on, this undercurrent, and this is where I think the divine showed up, and I feel like God was preparing our hearts for this journey that we were getting ready to take. And, um, you know, he put it in our hearts like, nope, one of you is going to have to stay home and take care of Finn because this isn't done by any stretch of the imagination. And we looked at each other, and Keith was like, yeah, you got to stay home. Because then and now he makes way more money than I ever could. Um, and, and it just made like, we were just like, well, yeah, this is logical. Not having any indication of how crazy the journey was going to get. Just knowing that, like, I felt like God was preparing our hearts at that moment to be like, nope, one of you's got to stay home. Um, and that, that, that was rough. That was a bit of a blow. Um, so even though God came first and he prepared my heart for this journey, I did not go quietly into that good night. I was, I'm, I have been kicking and screaming the whole way and I still am sometimes, I think. Um, because I, it, it occurred to me a little later, not in that moment, cause we were in kind of shock mode, but later I was like, I can no longer contribute financially to my family. And, um, that was a big blow in part because I have worked since the time I was 14, 15 years old. And it was a real chunk of my identity coming through um, a degree which I had worked very hard for. I had gone to um, a graduate program that I'd worked very hard in. I'd gotten a degree. I was a therapist. I mean, I still am, but I was a full-time therapist. And um, it just, it, it like kind of hit me like, wow, I can't do this full time anymore. I'm, I don't know that I'll ever be able to work full time again. And so that idea of a career just very much slipped away and that was a big blow. So that was starting some discouragement for me. 
Um, and then I was a teacher. I was teaching at, at, at a university and I was teaching other therapists how to be therapists. And I, I was wrapping up a semester. It was my last semester. I was going to teach for a while. I was going to take a break. And as I was wrapping this up, I had already quit working full time. I was wrapping up the semester and I began to think to myself, like, who am I to be teaching these people when I can't even work as a therapist? Who am I to teach therapists how to be therapists when I can't work as one? And it, that, that little voice just kind of started getting louder and louder and louder. And um, it, it was hard because I had a career path. I had a plan. And then I made plans and God laughed because that's what happens, right? Um, Yeah, that's what happens. So God was laughing and I had plans and then I didn't have plans anymore. And this thought of who am I, who am I really fed into the discouragement. And I will tell you this, if it was loud as I was kind of wrapping up my full-time therapy career, that sucker turned up to 11 when I took on the role of being a special needs mom. Like, who, who am I to do this work? Because this is, this is work. This stuff is intense. And I took on this new identity, and I had no clue what I was doing. None whatsoever. Um, I, my, have two experiences with getting, um, kids diagnosed and this is kind of where more of this discouragement can kind of happen and where it happened for me. Um, so lost my identity as a therapist, a full-time career person contributing financially to my family, started to question my identity that I could be this special needs mom, this thought of who am I? And then you you get this diagnosis and it's like and there you go you have a diagnosis and let me explain what i mean by that so my experience with getting diagnosis with two kids is one with my oldest has ADHD but the one with Finn with autism and i think it's especially with the autism community you get a diagnosis and then it's kind of like you go figure you go on and figure it out. There you go. There's the door. Uh, and it's kind of like the wild west sometimes no one really knows the rules and we're just all showing up guns blazing half the time. Um, and also the, the community can feel that way sometimes. And, and please don't get me wrong. Our, our autism community can be a wonderful, supportive, connective, healthy, happy place. And then there's these pieces and parts of it that are kind of scary. I'm just going to put that out there. And ones that I stumbled upon early on and I, and that kind of contributed to eating away a little bit at my confidence as a mom. Um, So here's what I mean by that. Finn got his autism diagnosis. We got it almost a year to the day after he had his epilepsy diagnosis And um, we were there in the developmental doctor, developmental pediatrician office, four to six hours. They did all the testing. That is hell. I'm just going to put that out there. And then they came back in and they said he has severe autism. 
and he's at great risk for mental retardation. Here's a referral to our autism clinic. Deuces. And you, you, you get punched in the gut and then you walk out into the hallway and it feels like you're just supposed to go back to your typical Monday, Tuesday morning, got to go home, let the dog out and take out the trash. And, and no, it's not completely like that. You know, there was some follow-up from the developmental doctor, but pretty much you're on your own. Um, and, and you kind of just put it out there. Like my kid has autism and then it just hangs there and it's like, okay, now what do I do? Um, so that was, that was part of our story in terms of how we got their diagnosis. And I can tell you another thing in terms of, of those diagnosis, if you talk to any family, autism family, I can pretty much guarantee they will give you a different story for each family you talk to of how they got their diagnosis. That's how crazy it can feel. Uh, and that's how crazy it can be in trying to, to go on this journey. So you, you get this diagnosis, then they're like, okay, you know, go, go get him help. And your, your discouragement then is like, where, where do I go? What do I do? It's basically a choose your own adventure. I don't know if you remember those books. Um, but like, you know, you could pick different endings and, and that's basically what this, this part of the process is, is that it's a choose your own adventure in terms of getting this diagnosis and trying to get help for your kiddo. So that part can feed into discouragement in in ways because you're trying to figure out what do I do with what? I'm supposed to go get information. I'm supposed to critically think about it, apply it to our situation and figure out, okay, what what are we going to do that's best for our particular kiddo? And it wasn't shortly after that that I started going on like Facebook groups and parent sites and things like that and different books, uh, you know, trying to do some research, trying to figure out next best steps, listening to other people. Thank God for my friend Lori, um, who helped me walk through those first initial months because I was just in a fog. Um, and again, don't get me wrong. Some of these pages that are out there, they're, they're connective, they're healthy, they're helpful. And you can also have experiences that again, just chip away your confidence as a parent and trying to figure out who you are and, and, and what is it you're trying to do with your kid. Um, I started to compare like, okay, here's what you're doing as a parent. Is that good enough as to what I'm doing as a parent? And you gave your kid this nutritional drink. Should I be giving my kid this nutritional drink? Should I be doing this therapy with my kid? You know, all these questions and all these comparisons and all these things that you start to run into. And it just kind of starts to knock you down little by little because you're just not sure what it is you think you should be doing. And at the same time, you can think, okay, I'm doing really well. And you think, all right, I'm doing great in terms of, of what path I do have my child on. And then you kind of get sucked into this, again, this comparison leading to discouragement where you thought maybe your kid would be further along like this other kid and they're not. And then what do you do? 
And it can be a really big rabbit hole that you can go down and it can suck a lot of joy away from you. Um, it just can be really discouraging to go down those rabbit holes, to read those posts, to do that comparison. Does this sound familiar to any of you? The diagnosis happens. There's no one really there to support or guide you on this journey of trying to get help for your kid. You start searching the web to figure things out. Maybe you're seeing all these parents who are making progress. You're like, how are they doing that? I want to do that. But then you're thinking, can I afford this? Does this make sense for him? That kind of thing. Um, and the discouragement just starts to creep in. And it, it, it just it can help you feel stuck. So here are some of the things that I learned about from losing my identity career-wise, understanding that I could no longer contribute financially in the way that I had before to my family, getting this diagnosis, not really knowing who to turn to, what to do next, wanting to help my child but feeling lost and discouraged. Here are some of the things that, that I use to help with my own sense of discouragement. Number one, I want to... Um, encourage you to fill yourself up. When do you notice that you're all used up? What does it feel like to you? For me, it feels like I'm burnt out. I'm resentful. I'm tired. I don't want to do the next thing that I have to do. And that's when I know that I need to stop and step back and take a minute to do something for myself, whatever that might be. And is there something that you can do for yourself to help you practice your joy, to build up that joy reserve? Because honestly, that's what's going to, to that we're going to have to use to get us through. Um, I want to encourage you to do everything as much as you can to fill yourself up. I, I talked previously about practicing faith in um, my, one of my other episodes, and I'm very fortunate with the church that I attend. Our lead pastor there drills it into our heads pretty much from the beginning. Like, this faith is a rhythm. <clears throat> it's a practice. It's not something that you just do once a month and you're like, yeah, I went to church. But it's, it's, it's regularly going to church to connect with other people. It's regularly serving others. It's regularly opening your Bible. It's regularly talking to God to build up that relationship. Because that rhythm, that relationship with God, that relationship with my faith and, and the people who are my friends and my family and my support system because of that faith, that's what grounds me. That's what keeps me centered when I'm feeling like, for lack of a better image, a, a ship tossed in the night, that's, that's what keeps me grounded. That's what keeps me from letting that discouragement take over and just suck me in. So it's a rhythm with my relationship with God. And whatever your faith is, whatever you deem that to be, Practice it regularly. Get into that rhythm. Practice your faith to fill yourself up that way. Because that that can be what anchors you. That can be what is your center point when everything else is, is off center. Um, whenever you can, 
go have a date night with your significant other. Whenever you can, go with your friends. And the friends that fill you up, not the ones who can suck you dry, but the ones who can be there for you, who can sit in the dark with you. I am so fortunate to have my best friend. I have multiple friends. Um, But my best friend, Bridget, who can sit in the dark with me and who can hold that space for me. And she doesn't, she doesn't get sucked down in it with me, but she's like, I'm here, you know, I'm listening. I get you. I see you. So find those friends who do that for you, um, who can sit in the dark place with you and then be there with you to celebrate when you can find the light again. Do something just for yourself. Whenever you can, take a break from the therapy and and go just delight in your child and who they are without therapy, without having to do something to keep track of it, without a therapeutic stance to it. To go, go, that's what we would do some days. Like I with Finn, I would just be like, we're just going to go to the aquarium. And I don't care if we get any therapeutic activity out of it at all. We're just going to go watch the fish. And he would love that. And it was just a way for me to remind myself that this is my child And I just want to delight in his presence. Um, If you have to, you know, because being a special needs parent can be all consuming and you can lose yourself in the daily grind of it. Go into the bathroom, lock the door, take deep breaths, just, just so you're not, you don't have to be touched. Nobody needs anything from you. Do it for five minutes and just breathe and maybe do some prayer while you're in there. And just get poured into as much as you can because you spend so much time pouring out yourself into others. Do that for yourself. Make it a priority just like you would any other, you know, therapy appointment, doctor appointment, school meeting, all of those things you make a priority for your child. Make yourself the priority. Fill yourself up. So that you get what you need so that you can keep going and that discouragement doesn't overtake you. Number two, comparison is truly the thief of joy. I believe this. I, I, I see it. It's happened to me. I promise you, stop comparing. Just stop. Um, how often during the week, during the day, are you comparing yourself either to another parent because you think what they're doing is more awesome than you or because their kid is making more progress than yours or comparing your kid to another kid. It just, it's just got to stop. Um, stop. For me, I had to stop asking how old the other kid was on the playground. I had to stop because that was one of my triggers. It was one of my triggers in that it would start this spiral of just well, they're four years old and they're doing all these awesome things. They're over there yakking to their parent and Finn's like, oh, hey, the mulch is great today. You know, I mean, that's, that's the kind of stuff that, that would be happening in my day. And I, I had to just, I, I, I had to stop comparing. So I had to stop asking how old the other kid was on the playground. And I did, and I stopped and it helped just to be like, you know what? Today, Finn thinks the mulch is awesome. And that's what he's focused on, and that's what he's happy about, and that's what we're going to go with today. Um, and I think, because I, I think, and I truly believe this, one of the greatest joys of this party that we got invited to 
as special needs parents is that we get to learn firsthand how to practice being in the moment and how to just delight in our children. Um, I say this because we get so many chances to practice not comparing and to practice being compassionate towards ourselves and other kiddos about just needing them where they are in their own individual way. Um, And what a gift we get. Real concrete reminders every day that our kids are unique and that they have their own way of seeing the world. That is a real gift. And we get that every day. Um, One of the ladies that I I really admire, uh, her name is Kayla, and she has a, a special needs little kiddo. And hers is where she doesn't know if she's going to have him tomorrow or for another two years. And when she posts about that and she reminds, I think all of us who read that, like, yeah, I just want to delight in my child's presence. That's the gift that we get. We get that concrete reminder every day to just be like, wow, this kid is amazing. Um, so as much as you can, stop comparison, stop comparing, stop comparison. It is truly the, the thief of joy. What triggers you to compare? Where do you go? What rabbit hole do you start to go down when you see things that other kids do that yours can't? Um, for me, again, it was the playground. It was seeing what neurotypical kids can do. It was social media. I have to highly limit those things so that I don't go down those rabbit holes. Third and final thing in terms of dealing with discouragement, self-compassion, practicing self-compassion. In um, therapy, and as a therapist, we have a term, the monkey mind. And I'm just going to kind of demystify a little bit about therapists, counselors, So the monkey mind is something that happens to all of us. But for therapists, when we first start out, we have this monkey mind of like, oh my God, am I doing it right? Are they getting what they need? Will the client like me? Are they going to come back? Oh my goodness. What did they just say? Like it just goes around and around and around and it jumps from topic to topic to topic. And it, and it's sometimes pretty critical and negative. Um, And it's all over the place. And the monkey mind literally swings from one topic to the next mindlessly. Um, That can be part of you being not so nice to yourself and making it hard to practice self-compassion. And what is self-compassion? It's this idea that you would talk to yourself the same way that you would talk to a good friend or maybe your child if they made a mistake, or maybe your significant other, or someone who you really love, self-compassion means that you're showing up for yourself as a friend, so being a friend to yourself, and showing up in a non-judgmental way, being kind to yourself on a regular basis, practicing kindness to yourself. How does this help with discouragement? Well, It can turn the feeling down from that 11 that I know I personally experienced taking on this journey as a special needs parent. It can turn it down from 11 to maybe a four or five. And it can help you ride the wave of that discouragement until that feeling would kind of, you know, 
start to flow away. Um, it helps to first to practice acknowledging that you are feeling discouraged. So that's, that's the first step. Just saying out loud, like, I feel discouraged. And just noticing that you have that feeling is so important and acknowledging it and saying it out loud. It can help to notice where do, where do you feel discouragement in your body. Maybe your chest is tight. Maybe your jaw is tight. For me, I know I get like a headache. My jaw gets really tight when I'm feeling discouraged and I'm not breathing. Um, what does it look like for you? How can you describe what discouragement is to you? Um, it just slows down. It's, it's helpful to slow down and acknowledge that you have that feeling. Trying not to stuff it or, or numb out to it. And once you acknowledge you have that feeling in a non-judgmental way, then you can try to express it in a very, a very healthy way. Um, for me, I don't know if some of you have noticed, but I'm kind of an out loud processor, meaning that I like to talk about my thoughts and feelings out loud. Not necessarily so much for somebody to solve it or do something, but it just helps me to kind of organize and understand what it is I'm experiencing right then. Um, so I have a few trusted people, again, who can sit in those uncomfortable feelings with me and just kind of hold some space for me while I make friends with being discouraged. And that's part of it. Um, Pema Chodron, she's another one of the folks that I look up to. Um, she talks about making friends with your uncomfortable feelings and kind of inviting them over to have some coffee and really get to know them. And, and that's part of what you're doing when you're practicing self-compassion. Um, the kinder you are towards yourself with feelings like discouragement, the more judge, non-judgmental you are towards yourself, the, the more the friend that you make of discouragement, you just really get to know it. It's going to be easier and easier to have that feeling, acknowledgement, say, okay, this showed up, let, let yourself ride the wave of it, and then it will flow away. Um, and the more times you practice this towards yourself, the easier it's going to be to, to direct that practice towards other people. Um, it's a painful process at first, not easy. But the more you try every day, it's kind of like that muscle, a self-compassion muscle. You got to exercise it and start with being compassionate towards yourself. Um, the more you exercise it, the easier it will be to ride those waves of discouragement when you get it. So that's it. Um, practice your self-compassion. Stop comparison. Stop, stop, stop comparing. And fill yourself up. And I pray that for all of you listening, that you're able to take these three things and make it fit for you. I pray that you find that person that will sit in those uncomfortable feelings for you. I pray that you can practice riding the wave of discouragement. And I pray that mo most days, more often than not, you can delight in the presence of your child and enjoy the party that we've all been invited to.